LMT is a lens by which you assess all economic understanding. The street is full of corruption. It is baked in to every aspect of our society. 1900s, Lenin was predicting global finance capital would do all the things it's doing today. This is written over 100 years ago. All right, everybody. It is Steve, the Rogue Scholar. I'm tempting the fates here, gang. I'm bringing on a friend, a very good friend, not only a good friend, but one of the biggest volunteers in the organization of Real Progressives and Real Progress in Action, none other than our editor-in-chief and uh, one of my top confidants in uh, Virginia Cotts. So let me tell you a little bit about her before I bring her on. Um, Virginia is an old commie, old school commie going way back. She would call herself a Stalinist and she has had a huge impact on my, uh, my process as I move further and further to the left. Um, she's influenced me over the years and her and I fight, we wrestle, we just work through issues like I think the left has to do as a whole. And that's kind of why I brought her on because our discussions are where my, my learning comes from, not just from her, but with others, you have to forgive her this, uh, the weather and everything has given her a little bit of the sniffles and it is definitely not her preferred awake time. So she is going way out of her way to be part of the show. So without further ado, let me bring on my guest, my friend, Virginia Cotts. Welcome to the show, Virginia. Hi, Steve, the crack of 9 a.m. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I, I just, I, I wanna just tell everybody for the record. I mean, this in, this episode is titled Incrementalism, um, but really we're in search of wins. We're in search of how would you identify a win? How can the left, the real left, not not this kind of bourgeois centrist harm reduction pseudo left, but the quote unquote left where we have no power in the political sphere. We have no one representing us in Congress or the Senate or in the White House. We have nobody at the local level, even as a dog catcher on Team Us, really. And, you know, most people think that power is begat by you know voting and and we spend a lot of these elections realizing that in order to make a dent to help people understand the mmt framework we so frequently talk about and now adding in the class analysis to our work that the elections present us with an opportunity to educate but i still see people saying what do you want trump or um, you know, what is your plan or what's your solution or whatever? And th the reality is, is that we're not in a position where we can answer the question of what our solution is per se, because the solution is in fact changing with the conditions that we're faced with, with each, uh, you know, each of the uh, challenges that we face as a whole, how do we collectively come up with answers? And, and the right wing clearly as a straight line, they just are anti this, anti that. They are um, angry, and many of them are the working class. 
And so as a leftist, understanding that our struggle is class, I mean, we obviously are not class reductionists where we ignore intersectionality, but we are at a point where it gets icky because the right wing has somehow or another co-opted much of the working class um, and they've used sad instances like xenophobia and, you know, bigotry of all varieties, scapegoating, um, which plays right into the capital orders control over the message. So I guess let's start with that right now. For, for those that don't know Virginia, Virginia, go ahead and give folks just a, a short introduction to your history so they know why you're on the show with me. Oh, okay, sure. Well, um, as Steve said, I call myself a Stalinist. That That's mainly to be provocative, but I'm definitely a Leninist. Um, I have been uh, politically active since I was a teenager. I was 13 when, the, when Dr. King's March on Washington happened. I worked uh, organizing against the war in Vietnam. I uh, lived in Germany and we went around to American army bases and organized. We um, uh, put out newspapers. I studied, I've been, spent all my life uh, working as an activist. I'm not, I'm not particularly scholarly. Um, I've forgotten more than I, more than I remember of the um, books I've read. And I even read Capital Volume One, forgotten everything. But um, one other thing, when I, went to, when I went to Paris in 1968, I was right out of high school and it, there was a general strike of some, some between 67 and 68, general strike, students, workers, the city was closed down the newspapers were full of, of alarmed reports about the president, President Charles de Gaulle, making plans to sneak out of the city and get out of France because he, he felt endangered. So, so I was at a very impressionable age, and that told me that we can be successful, that activism, especially, especially labor, can, uh, can be successful. And I've been trying to find that again for the past half century. <laughs> well, you know, we've been doing real progressives now and forgive the title, but we've been doing real progressives now since before Bernie Sanders actually announced that he was going to run for president. And it was all in support of modern monetary theory and Stephanie Kelton in particular, which is what put us over the edge with that. But over the course of, I don't know, 2015 to talking what, eight years. Yeah. And within that eight years, you know, we've seen a lot of people learn the fundamental idea that federal taxes don't fund spending and that, you know, we're getting an understanding of money and how money works, but we've struggled big time in bridging that gap with socialists and communists and others that, um, you know, view the world through a different lens. And as a result of that, the ability to make the kind of changes that we're looking for um, leave us frequently talking to, unfortunately, in some ways, uh, it is what it is in others, 
with centrists and with with pseudo leftist progressives, if you will, the Bernie Sanders types uh, and so forth, folks that looked at FDR as a guiding light of of a bastion of goodness and so forth. But, you know, we've noticed that there's no real power in the electoral process. You go through each election and there's a deluge of people talking about harm reduction, talking about you got to vote blue no matter who, because the GOP is so, so bad. And it's become so overwhelming, the loudness, the voices, the whatever, that it's almost impossible to gauge. How would you even know if you were making progress and progress toward what? What is the goal? What are you trying to achieve? And and it feels like a bunch of chickens with their heads cut off running in circles spinning around in a teacup and really making nothing while we watch you know things like the uh roe v wade uh be destroyed and we watch more wars occur and we watch as they continually mock the idea of health care for all because people don't understand the money story because they don't understand the money story they play into the capitals you know existing lie that keeps us from having nice things help me understand what 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 would be a a a win what 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 would be a goal if you will it don't you don't it doesn't need to be quote unquote revolution or not just in general at the end what are we looking to achieve what what is the left what would you say the left needs to be looking to achieve well steve i can't speak for the left because i don't know who they are but but what we want is for people to be taken care of. We want people to have, to feel secure, to have a, a, a comfortable life, to have time to spend with their families. So, so in other words, so their work week is a, is a reasonable one. Um, we want people to not have to worry about health care, to not be drowning in debt, to, to be able to study if they want to. Uh, to be able to have a job if they want to. It, it, that's what we want. I mean, I've always said if if capitalism can make that happen, I, you know, I won't say anything. I'll shut up. But I just don't believe it can. I don't believe it can. Well, you know, I look like, I, I, I mean, I'm not going to share a bunch of this stuff, but I, I wake up every morning mm-hmm. to an inbox filled with walls of texts from people that are heartfelt, meaning, you know, deep, deep thinkers, people that are pondering all sorts of things. And it always comes back to uh, harm reduction. They, they view this idea of just vote blue no matter who as an ends to itself. And it doesn't matter if they do any better because, you know, the other side will do worse. So it's always a empty demand. It's always a just a very, very much short-circuited process where they ignore everything that matters, that you can survive, that you can eat, that you have health care or whatever, and then they boil it into, but what about the gay people? And then it, it just stops right there because, after all, you know the right wing hates the gays. So, you know, they get eked out about the butt sex and stuff like that. And so we have to deal with a nonstop, you know, it, it, it's not even – decrementing it's literally like a full-scale capitulation to this lesser evilism um and and i i i'm on record countless times saying we cannot vote our way out of this i don't see any there's no path that i've seen no plan that anybody's tried to sell me on that in any way shape or form looks like progress 
And each time I hear it, I mean, I remember back during Bernie Sanders part one, we would be on these eight, nine, 10 hour conference calls talking about how we could take over the Democratic Party. And I've watched people stand up and beat their chest saying, of course, we can take over the Democratic Party. And nothing happens there. Even when they, quote unquote, take over the party, the party folds itself back over itself and self heals. It's as if nothing happened. Um, every single progressive movement, every single leftist movement, the Democrats have co-opted. They roll it under and they kill it. I've never once seen evidence that Democrats produce these great things that they're talking. Now, maybe at some point in the past, somebody can point to something and say, well, there was a time. I don't see any of that and haven't seen it. And I'm 54 years old, have not seen any of that. And, and you look, and Biden is even right now celebrating deficit reduction. And the paternalists out there are saying, you know, us sensible Democrats had to, of course, rescue the day. Us sensible Democrats. And, and so you're, you're stuck in the spout that if you don't go along to get along, you're not sensible. You're not reasonable. After all, we live in a duopoly. What, what else could you possibly do? Let me throw that to you. It, it, you know, obviously, I think we share a common belief that we can't vote our way out of this. What What do you think that looks like? I mean, what, how how would you talk to what I'll term a normie that suddenly tries to get you to forget everything you know, flush everything you know, and just vote blue no matter who? What What, what would you say to them? Wow. You know, it, as you were talking, I was thinking about about a woman I know who's my age who. Um, who was arguing that we had to vote for Biden, whatever, because of Trump. And I said, um, what, I said, what does the Democratic Party stand for? And she said, well, civil rights, you know, uh, labor movement, equality. She named all these things. And I said, well, really, what, what is it that they do that, has, that, that tells you all this? And then, of course, she backtracked. And she was either speaking of memory, speaking from memory, or she was speaking from wishful thinking or brainwashing or a little bit of both. The last progressive thing I remember Congress doing was, was I mean, we had the, the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Act. We had, um, you know, a, a few things back then. And the last thing I remember was OSHA or, or the Environmental Protective Agency. That was in the 70s. I don't remember anything major since then. We should have correct had me if I'm wrong here, but didn't the EPA get passed by one tricky dick? I mean, wasn't that Richard Nixon's baby? If the I'm less. not mistaken, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, he may very well have been a Republican, and which is Trey Bizarre, huh? Trey Bizarre. Um, but was he? <laughs> I mean, what do we do here? I mean, like, like to me, a lot has happened since Richard Nixon. Let's be fair. We, we lost the Bretton Woods Accord. Lost. We got rid of the Bretton Woods Accord. We're now on a free-floating fiat currency. So that was a huge change right there in 72. Then, of course, people still celebrate Jimmy Carter, but we've already observed through our interactions with others, historian Harvey Kay in particular, which I was shocked 
said this because Harvey tends to be very much friendly to the FDR wing of the Democratic Party. But Harvey came right out and said flat out the king of austerity. Everybody wants to point at Reagan. It started with Jimmy fucking Carter. And and unfortunately, the paternalists out there will once again try to lecture us in a condescending fashion that Jimmy was the greatest. He had freaking solar panels on the White House. What do you mean? He's great as God. The Lord Jesus Christ himself can't touch Jimmy Carter as he builds more houses for houses for, you know, habitat for humanity. But in reality, Jimmy Carter was literally the king of austerity. He was the one that started getting everybody to wear the sweaters and <laughs> tighten up your belt buckles. And we've got to we've got to, you know, consume less and blah, blah, blah. What do you th- I mean, like there is a missing piece here. The narrative that I hear from Democrats does not resonate with me. Doesn't. It doesn't work for me at all. It, it, it's like counterfactual. I, 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 I'm just curious. What, what are your thoughts on the Democratic Party as a vehicle for change? Well, obviously, I don't. I believe both parties are the parties of Wall Street, uh, and that's. I don't know. I don't know. I didn't see the transformation happen, but but you know that as well. We we've privatized everything. Why do I say we? The government has privatized everything, including money, including government. Everything is privatized. But um, but you know, you and I talk about this a lot. We don't know. In terms of political activism, we don't know what's going to be successful. You know, it, it it's it's like um, it it's like one electing one president could cause a chain reaction internationally, domestically. We don't know, but that's something that's so out outside of our of our control. the The best thing about political elections is it's a time that you can talk to people because people are focused on politics. It's that's a good thing and a bad thing. But but that that's the only value I can see. Um, uh, I support people who get involved in local campaigns, you know, we we know that local leaders can make a difference temporarily, you know, money for women's shelters, things like that. But but in terms of the kinds of changes we need, Congress isn't going to do that. And yet, everybody looks to Congress when they think about politics. They don't, it, and I shouldn't say everybody, there's some very, very good people out there with solid class analysis. But the noise seems to be from people who believe Congress is, Congress equals politics. Yeah, I think to myself, you know, I I went out there on on Twitter earlier, which is a dangerous place to be if you want to keep your sanity. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to mention her name, but one of the friends of, you know, our friends of friends, so to speak, was busy out there saying, you know, because now, obviously, uh, with Cornell West throwing his hat in the ring, um. You know, there's a lot of folks out there who have a very negative feeling for Nick Branya and the movement for a people's party. And there's a lot of people that were very excited about being a part of that, um, only to find themselves used up and thrown out the door and no longer 
part of that world and I would be one of them. Uh, but this individual was busy shaming everybody saying, Hey, you know, I, you know, I, I used to beat the drum for third parties and I don't beat the drum for any, cause I, I believe the electoral process is controlled by the duopoly, by the corporate powers, the oligopoly that we live in. And to ignore that is just absolutely to me, the most disingenuous form of gaslighting you can do. But this individual who has a platform of her own is running around beating everyone over the head saying, hey, I used to support Democrats, but there's real harm reduction that we can do by voting for and for uh, Biden. Mm-hmm. And we're looking at it and I'm saying, gosh, it's June 9th, 2023. Mm-hmm. Is this going to be another 18 month campaign cycle? Mm-hmm. And what I don't think they understand is that guys like Trump, I, I, I tried to talk to a lot of our friends about the concept of attacking Donnie tiny hands and Donnie, the Connie and all the other stupid worthless stuff that you saw the vote blue sycophants push out there. And it was like a nonstop diversion from a green new deal. It was a nonstop diversion from talking about existential climate crisis. It was a nonstop diversion and I mean, friends of ours even were like, no, we've got to go after Trump. We must go after him. But it, it's, it's never gone away. He's been impeached twice and he's more popular than ever. Impeached twice and more popular than ever. That should tell you something. But instead, these brainiacs, these these freaking geniuses are busy selling. We've got to go after Donnie Tiny Hands, Don the Con, Putin puppets, and all the other lesser specimen type statements that come out there that distract and destroy and are worthless. I'm curious, why is it that we're always in the process of trying to rip down the other as opposed to posit a positive vision for what we would want to see and build toward that? Like, I'm on record saying we need to build parallel systems. I'm on record saying you can't vote your way there. I'm on record saying what I believe needs to happen. But when I hear them, Instead of putting the thing out there that we can feed the homeless, that we can bring in uh, brothers and sisters that are immigrating to the U.S., whether illegally or legally, whatever, because they're trying to escape oppression elsewhere. But they're coming to the king of oppression in the United States, and yet somehow or another, it doesn't make sense. I, I guess my question to you is, why is it that we spend all of our time allowing the quote-unquote right to define the terms of engagement instead of the quote-unquote working class or the left defining what we think needs. It it seems like it's always the other way, always, always that way. Don't you think it's it's, they're the ones in power? They're the ones who have who have controlled the the culture, the education, the media. So it's a miracle that we're able to think of, to think any other way. I mean, we always laugh about, um, um, you know, that, that the Democrats and Republicans are like two sports teams. It's like the, the Yankees and the Sox, you know, it's people. And, and in my lifetime, I've seen, I've seen the Democrats completely flip. One day they were into spending money on a strong social safety net. The next day they were boasting about fiscal conservatism. How did so many people change their 
beliefs. Uh, one day they were, the Democrats were very opposed, they opposed to the CIA, the deep state. The next day they're supporting it because Trump, well, you know, you know what I'm saying. But, <laughs> but the other thing about, about this particular election, am I supposed to believe that if, if only we can get Biden in, something good is going to happen? Ha who's the president right now? Who, Biden, who's, I think. Who's gonna, <laughs> yeah. So, but the other thing, Steve, is in addition to existential climate crisis, there's also the threat of nuclear war. We have this huge imperial monster uh, taking over the world, uh, assassinating leaders whenever they don't like, whenever they, they don't uh, follow America's bidding. Trump is actually more anti-war than Biden. So who, who am I to say that one of those two assholes is better than the other? Who, you know, I can't, I can't make that. Up. Well, I, here, here's, here's what I see. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it's very surface level, mm -hmm. but it's, it's a real thing, right? When you walk into a place and everybody acts a certain way, it creates the environment that builds upon that thing, whatever that affect is. And, you know, if, if you're anti-gay and lesbian and you come in there and you feel free to just talk about screw the gays and f them and screw mm -hmm. whatever mm -hmm. and um you you have the ability to build that herd mentality mm -hmm. and that herd mentality when graced with the legitimacy of government putting its hand on those people creates yet again another force of evil if you will so there's a harm mitigation that comes in there I don't think that that's something you can vote your way there, though, if that makes sense. Right. I think that the issue is deeper than that. Right. The, the reason why these things resonate with people and the only reason it resonates with people is because I believe austerity is being used as a tool that they think you're taking something from them. They think that you're you're taking, you know, whatever place in society they had and replacing it with immigrants or taking whatever place they had in society and replacing it with trans people mm -hmm. or taking their place and, and you're taking their job, you're taking their house, you're taking their wives, whatever it is, right? You're taking something from them. Mm -hmm. they, they can't understand that if the government creates it out of thin air, it's not coming from you. Mm -hmm. And so it's that fundamental delta mm -hmm. there. But by allowing that to take place, it allows, it gives rise to all those bigoted things that the superficial Democrats use and say, see, they're against it. And we got to fight back. We got to save society from this. Mm -hmm. But yet the Democrats are busy celebrating right now Biden's deficit reduction. Right. They're busy celebrating austerity that created it to begin with. Mm -hmm. And the vast majority of voters and the vast majority of activists and the vast majority of alt media are recalcitrantly unwilling to learn the economics that would open their eyes up to see this thing help help me i guess understand 
what do you think the barrier is? We're all propagandized. I get it mm-hmm. completely. Mm-hmm. But what do you think the barrier is to these groups understanding the economics? Why do you think their yeah. ears are tuned out and shut down and they just bring Richard Wolf on to talk about how the government borrows from corporations? Jesus Christ on a half shell. What the I hell? Mean, people I listen know. to that trash. I know. It. it but this is the million dollar question. I mean, this is what we're trying to do at Real Progressives. I found Real Progressives because, because as a Marxist, I realized that my understanding of, of the economy was pretty weak. And I was literally just flipping around YouTube and I came upon you um, talking with Rowan, I believe. And, and it was so weird and so wrong. But you both sounded like you both sounded like you really believed it and you had a handle on it and so i i had to learn more before i you know um, rejected it and that's how i came across mmt but it goes against everything people believe it, it you need money in order to buy i need money before i can buy a car i need money before i can take out a mortgage why would the federal government be different? And that's the big leap, that the federal government is indeed different. But they have people so confused. I've been talking with, with people who believe, yes, but when the economy is, is in trouble, that's when you can't print too much money. You know, that's when, uh, when China stops stops loaning us because China for some reason is going to stop needing dollars tomorrow. I don't know why, but yeah, but it's so so confusing and yet it fits the narrative. And so that it's so much easier than making this leap to MMT, but you have managed to teach an awful lot of people, Steve. There are a lot of people who just accept the, the, basic tenets of MMT, people who will never study it, but they, but it's come to make sense. It's part, I think it's repetition for one thing. You just hear it enough. It doesn't sound crazy anymore, you know? Just real quickly, I got a long set of texts and I'm sorry that I'm not sharing them with you all, but they're private and, but they're important. And long string of texts basically saying hey you know you hear the term degrowth you hear the term mmt and you know these things to be true but what do you do with it how do you make any of this happen how do you steve how does this go from just being a really cool thing you talk about in your podcast to it being a really cool thing that we do for society how do we save ourselves i've got children how do we save ourselves from the coming climate crisis when so many people are busy out there distracting people how do we get the focus on the thing that will save us all. How do we do that? And unfortunately, I don't have an answer for that. I mean, I have an approach. I have an idea. You know, I've laid it out in different podcasts and different episodes of this show, Rogue Scholar. But in fairness, though, everybody's always looking for a finished product. Nobody's coming at the base and saying, hey, let's talk about this and let's make it happen. Everybody's like, oh, you guys don't have all that stuff. Oh, I can't just run out to the protest with a sign in my hand. Oh, well, I'm, I'm bored. I'm, I'm moving on to somewhere more exciting. And so they dart off to somebody that's going to run and scream in the streets, achieving 
precisely zero, precisely by zero. the way. Yeah. Precisely nuts. Nothing. Nada. Mm-hmm. And yet at the same time, though, they, they qualify just getting in the streets as somehow or another progress. How do we define progress? I know you say you're not the left or who is the left or whatever. Right, right. But just from your perspective, presenting it as if you are carrying the weight of the left momentarily. What would you tell somebody who thinks that the answer is just simply general strike? We'll take to the streets. You have some very nuanced understandings of these things. We've talked at length. We both chuckle a little bit because Mm -hmm. what else are we going to do? Tell me about your position on just take to the streets and general strike and so forth. What, What are your thoughts there? Yeah. Well, first of all, again, I, I don't know. There, there is a role for, for demonstrations. It, it, it encourages people. It excites them. The problem is you have to be very careful. It, it, this is that whole question of, of reform or revolution that, that you, if you're, if you're and, and I think demonstrations kind of fall into that. You oh, it always has to be reform and it always has to be more than just whatever this immediate issue is. I mean, let's imagine that that you know we got single payer health care by some miracle. We got it. Then what do we do? We succeeded, our little demonstrations worked. And then do we all go home and say, okay, things are fine? You you have to keep going. And when you don't succeed, you have to also keep going. And mostly we don't succeed. But I see all of these as education. I, for me, education is everything. And and I'm more and more convinced that people need, need an understanding of, of capitalism, need an understanding of, of how power works, of class. And I know it sounds stupid to use those words because... It, people turn off their buzzwords. I don't know how to express. I'm not smart enough to express these things in a more clever way. But but I think education is everything, uh, and that's that's what ultimately you're doing, Steve. You we talk about activism. We get involved in various events, but we always go back to macro and cheese to who we're going to interview, to, to doing the, the things I like to do, which is produce you know, webinars or book clubs, but talking and figuring it out. Okay, Virginia, keep that thought going. I got a call coming through. Okay. <laughs> oh, shit. I can't believe he left me here panicking. Okay, so, so now I'm a... When I was was a young a young revolutionary, a young Bolshevik, we used to literally get into fistfights with the others. So so the Communist Party people would get into fights with the Maoists, would get into fights with the I'm talking little roving bands in the street, you know, beating each other up. The, um, the anarchists, the Maoists, the Trotskyists. How crazy is that? There are so few of us, we can't afford that. So uh, earlier I said, I said, I always say I'm a Stalinist to kind of be provocative, but, but my message there is I don't criticize. 
I don't criticize those things anymore. I don't criticize the Soviet Union or China. It's like we have too much to do here. We are not on the verge of putting together the revolutionary government, you know, putting together the the Soviet. Then we can then we can start arguing about about those distinctions. But I I think right now we we still have everybody believing or too many people believing that that Congress equals politics and vice versa. We have too many people who don't understand power. And I that's the for me that's the core, understanding power. And as MMTers, one of the things that we're um uh at real progressives that we're struggling with is combining those two things. There's some great people out there with with great um, analysis of sort of big picture stuff of imperialism, but they aren't necessarily MMTers. And we have an MMT community that often stays very much in a fairly narrow, narrow lane. And so we're trying to, we're trying to, to kind of weave it together. And I don't have the answer. And one of the things I love about Steve is he's willing to say he doesn't have the answer too, that he's still, uh, oh, I said something nice about you, Steve. I know I heard, I was like, wait, hold on. Look, I I want some, I want some more shrooms. I want some of that. (laughs) I'm from the love generation. What can you say? So, you know, I I want, I want to, fill people in because you're one of the few people I actually broke my code of silence when I went to the dead show the other day. (laughs) I had an existential experience that day. I really did. It changed me, fundamentally changed me. I haven't been able to figure out how to unchange me, but there was a part of me that kept striving to be accepted by people that I don't really care if they accept me or not. You know, I, I mean, I do on the surface care, but in reality, I don't care. And, and I keep wondering why there's a clash, why there's this um, dissonance, right? Like a tuning fork out of tune. You're like, you, know, you want to bring it into where it's. And I just I realized that I was trying to fit into something. That I had outgrown or that I knew was not. um that I experientially knew was not true or that wasn't important. And I sat there at that show quiet as a mouse. I didn't dance. I sat in a chair. I did. I I belonged. I sat there and I belonged. I didn't try to get praise. I didn't try to get anyone's approval. And I felt perfectly content in that moment that it was okay to be me. It was okay to be myself. And I think that people as a whole, if they can find a way to be okay within themselves and identify what it is that they need in this world, what it is that they understand about the struggles they're dealing with and not worry about someone else's approval of whether their struggle is legitimate or whether their struggle is the the right struggle and talk to people and, and just sort of work it out. I, I called you or I, you know, and it was like straight up. It was just genuinely like I'm living my best life for this moment right here, right now. I, I wasn't five feet ahead. I wasn't five feet behind. I was right where my feet were. And I was right there in that moment 
and this may seem unrelated, but I don't believe it is. I think we're so eager to find out what other people think. We're so concerned about what their priority is. We're so concerned about winning them over. And, and then we end up fighting when we can't win them over, you know, and, and instead, you know, the idea of owning your truth, owning your, your existence and prioritizing what you've seen, what you've experienced and paying attention to the struggle of others and, and, and seeing the world, not so much in a us versus them mode, but allowing yourself to just exist. And it sounds a little corny probably, but this genuinely to me was a game changer. And by the way, before anybody asks sober as a judge, there wasn't any tripping or anything like that, that brought this about. I just had gotten to a point where if you'd have stuck me with a pin, I would have exploded. I was under so much pressure to try to give a flying fuck about supporting the left on social media, on Twitter. Why don't they retweet me? Or why aren't they watching the videos? Or why aren't they listening to our podcast? Or, And I, it was so much pressure to try to solve a problem that I had no control over. Your opinion of me is none of my business. That was the big thing. Your opinion of me is none of my business. My opinion of me is. And if I don't think that my thoughts are worthwhile, if I'm not giving myself credit for being able to take action, for being able to do something, I'm always going to be a bystander in this political process. And that was the wake up. Even though I'm doing things, I'm a human doing, I'd stop being a human being. And by putting this stuff in its proper context, you know, I was able to, I don't know, I was able to break free. You know, I don't give a flying fuck about the elites judging me or liking me or worrying about my cussing or worrying. I genuinely let go of it. And, and I also... I felt free. I felt loose. I felt like I was able to absorb new information because I had filled up so much of my mental capacity worrying about pleasing others, worry about fitting in to what the left was. Well, it was the same at the dead show, the dead and company. Okay. There is like people, if you look at the old videos, now I've been doing this for a long time. It's not something new. I've been to a bunch of dead shows. So it was, sort of part of me i listen to it all the time pretty much every show you see me do on rp you see me have a dead shirt or so i'm always in tie dyes i'm i'm i've been this forever but there was a part of me that was like do i fit does it fucking matter i belong there i belong wherever i want wherever my feet are and i think that we as people need to get a hold of that so that we take agency for ourselves and we don't think somebody else is going to do it for us, that we don't think somebody else is going to be the one that gives us the answer, that we feel empowered enough to be part of the solution and, and take action. And to me, you know, I go back to that interview I did with Michael Albert a, a couple of years back, the anarchist. And when we talked about how do we get people to, to be decision makers or to work in these environments when they've forsaken and they're gaslit and they have been oppressed to the point where they lost the capability of thinking, 
lost the capability of putting one foot in front of the other. And they're always the person at the dance standing along the wall, watching the others do the do. And I, I just, he didn't have an answer for me. He was like, it's going to take time. There's just no getting around it. People have been put in this kind of role for so long that they don't feel like they have anything of value to add. And I, I, I am here to tell you that that's not true. And I know it, it's not true. And, and I think that was the fundamental change was the reality that I don't need just because I am in the MMT community, I don't require, and I love them all, but I don't require their approval. I don't require their approval. I'm going to do what I feel led to do. I'm going to work with people that I have a shared common belief with, and I'm going to continue putting one foot in front of the other. It was a tremendous burden to try to please people that clearly I was not pleasing. And, and it kept me from being effective in, in ways that I feel like I'm gifted at. What are your thoughts on that? I, I, I'm just curious. Oh, I, I am so happy to hear it. I mean, one of the things that I think we all do, well, I don't know if everybody does, but I do, is there be people that I completely you know, don't like, make fun of, don't approve of, but then they say something critical of me and it's like, oh, what? You know, so why do I care? I don't like them. Why should they like me? But but I think what's more important is, and and I, this this sounds really, it does sound very sixties, but I'm trying to to find the the love for humanity again. I'm trying to to remember that, you know, I'm not uh, religious, I'm not a Christian, I'm not a theist, but but my God or my higher power is that thing that makes us more alike than than not alike. That that thing that makes human beings drawn to each other, that that our natural instinct is to work together, to cooperate, to form a, a family, or an extended family. And and I believe when, when you talk about when you talk about the, the things we're talking about, e- economics, politics, most of us want the same things. And and we we have to be alert. Uh, against being divided we I see I think even the Trump voters I think a lot of them thought he was going to bring back jobs or they voted for him I mean uh, this isn't this isn't any brilliant insight I think most people recognize this about or most of this audience recognizes people people uh, voted for Trump because they they were completely fed up with politicians and he sounded like an outsider they so we have things in common with them. We have things in common with with the the left that that's the crazy. Uh, I, I shouldn't say that. We have we have things in common with a, a lot of these groups, and I don't have the answer. But but which differences should keep us apart? So I'll give you an example. The um, the Medicare for all, the the single payer improved Medicare for all thing. The Real Progressives is working with March for Medicare for all. March for Medicare for all has another coalition partner that is pushing for a wonderful health plan, free at point of service, nonprofit, everything you would want. But 
one of their principles is that we need progressive taxation to pay for it for all the right reasons. Take the burden of the cost off of the working class and put it on the rich. But March for Medicare for All won't endorse them, won't endorse their, their th because of that, because it implies that taxation is required to pay for nice things. And and that's dangerous. So here's this group that wants everything we want, this, this national single payer. They want this great health care program. But they have one thing wrong. But it's a really important thing. So what do you do there? I mean, obviously, we don't reject them. We continue to try and talk to them, try to educate them. But you know, you were talking about uh, Cornell West. Do we, obviously we, we're we not into presidential campaigns or political campaigns, but should we support him a little bit? You know, where do you draw the line? What, which differences count? Yeah. I, I mean, don't I'm, have the I'm, answers. <laughs> I, I, to me, I'm looking at it like this. Mm -hmm. Every time we have to go after Donnie tiny hands every time we have to get everybody focused on learning about the nitty gritty of the Azov battalion. Every time we have to learn the nitty gritty about something, it's taking our eyes off of the big picture of organizing. And maybe you need some fatality of sorts to organize around. Unfortunately, it seems like people need a benevolent dictator or some great man to motivate they they for whatever reason we quote unquote need a leader i don't know why that is i don't like that that seems to be the way it is but apparently people can't function if there's not a leader and that means that like anarchist solutions tend to fall away because people are desperate for the great man to save them it means it's tough for stalinists because you guys want a dictatorship of the proletariat you want a uh benevolent dictator as well and then you've got the others who are completely divorced from that. And they, they have this idea that any kind of leadership is oppression and, and on and on and on. It, it's just so much web of insanity to untangle. So many different thoughts coming together. And at the same time, we all have to live under something, um, whether it be, you know, government's gone tomorrow and we're all running around foraging in the forest mm -hmm. or whether or not we're living in decentralized little pods. I don't know. But the fact is, is that we are literally watching uh, people once again, try to convince us that you can elect somebody in a primary that the Democrats have fought in court successfully to say, we don't have any responsibility to run any kind of primary, much less abide the results, much less keep our thumb off the scale, much less give your donations to the candidate, much less any of that. We can literally not run a primary and we can hand select who we want. And people try to gaslight you into saying, oh, that means we can support a primary. So you see them running out there supporting uh, RFK Jr. or Marianne Williamson. Mm -hmm. and, and then the next one, which is equally painful, is the third party idea right wrong or indifferent and i'm going to go wrong and i'm going to say factually wrong uh, is the third party concept 
the League of Women Voters no longer supports the debate stage. It's run by the duopoly, the Republicans and Democrats. Please explain to me why Republicans and Democrats have an interest in putting anyone on the stage with them. They are the gatekeepers. Unless you storm that Bastille and tear it down, you've got no prayer. But yet you'll be gas. Oh, you just, you know, hey, I, I am not a fan of the People's Party. I'm dead serious. I was one of the founding folks in there hanging out, going to the working with the progressive independent party working with draft bernie for a people's party all the rest of it and literally i have a major problem i mean i interviewed nick branya four or five times back in the day i was there at when we supposedly handed the all the signatures to bernie sanders in washington dc his pictures of me with jimmy Dore and tim black and jordan and the rest of the gang in dc doing this the fact of the matter is is that they have no access. They don't have a path. And even if they did, the gatekeepers that run the show, the Republicans and Democrats up, you know, up the food chain, have no real reason to let anyone do it. You could be excited. You can take to the streets. You can fill up a stadium. But if you don't have a path forward, you don't have a path forward. And I don't think you have a path forward with the duopoly either. You can't pick your candidate. They have selected who you will vote for. And that's that. And I don't even know that the vote matters. I'm not sure if it's not just there to keep you believing that you have a say in the outcome of, of the world. But the reality is that I can't think anybody that said, Hey, it'd be a great idea to have Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. Who the hell would say such an idiotic thing, but yet there they are. So to me, I guess to put a bow on this and to kind of wrap it up, I, I think we've got to find a way to identify what a win is and be okay with it ourselves. We've got to be, find a win. We've got to find a way to quantify what forward progress is and, you know, reinforcing the belief that taxpayers are funding things, reinforcing the belief that we need the rich people's money to be able to do nice things for ourselves, reinforcing the austerity narratives isn't helping us Redu reduce the deficit. Shut up. I mean, you know, pay down the debt. Oh my God. How can you say, I don't know economics any clearer than what are we going to do about this debt? Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so the people at the national single payer and the person that believes that the, you know, suddenly, you know, because of de-dollarization, the U S government won't be able to pay for healthcare. I mean, that's a real problem. You know, I think that's an integrity issue to be honest with you, because if I don't know a subject, I don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. And so if somebody has the audacity to act like they're an authority and ah, it's going to de dollarization, we're not going to be able to pay for it, blah, blah, blah. I think that's a real problem. I think that's a problem that each of us as individuals needs to take to heart. If you don't understand, it's important to go back to a Samuel L. Johnson quote that I really, really uh, think is super important. Samuel Johnson said, we know a subject ourselves or we know where to find information about it. We do not sit there and pipe off about shit we don't know. If you don't understand a fiat currency, don't tell me you're debasing the currency. You don't mm -hmm. know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Don't do it. There's a path. Don't do it. Don't talk about things you don't know. Or if you do, ask questions. Don't speak as if. And so in the particular case of the national single payer, I mean, she went in there and, and like, 
pinched the deuce right there in the, the community well. So now everybody is filled with the idea of de-dollarization blocking healthcare and all this other Captain Insano crap. And and that polluted the well. Now, the problem is that somebody's got to have an answer for the hope that lies within and explain to her why that's absolutely batshit crazy. But that's the problem. We as a society have convinced ourselves that we don't require any study. We don't have to read anything. We don't have to understand theory. We don't have to have a political analysis. We can just say things because my opinion is as equal as your opinion, which is bullshit, by the way. But these are the things that we're up against. Everybody thinks that, hey, I got a Twitter account. That means I'm an authority. You know, hey, you know, I watched a YouTube video. I must know economics now. Um, your, your final parting words as we close out. Well, I just want to I just want to say that I believe again that we can we can take advantage of any uh, any action that involves people and use it to educate. I think I think the Bernie campaign added was a net positive even though Bernie didn't stand a chance in hell of winning. I I think a lot of people, a lot of young people woke up uh, to, to a different way of looking at things. Uh, you know, they say democratic socialists uh, jumped from 5,000 to 30,000 or something afterwards. Not that, not that that's necessarily important, but what's important is that people were thinking a different way. And I, I don't know if this makes sense, but I'm just saying we can use we. The, the national single payer meeting I went to, most of the people there were listening to me and, and to Elizabeth, and we could see them uh, absorbing it. So it wasn't a waste. This one person who's heard her own experts saying something else, she doesn't know she doesn't understand it. She believes she understands it. But the point is the others listen to us. And and they're open to having a meeting with with you and and some some others. Um, so that's it. All right. Well, Virginia, folks, thank you for joining us on this Friday episode of the Rogue Scholar. Please check out. We've got Pavlina Chernova tomorrow for macro yeah. and cheese. Full employment on tap, folks. Please check it out. And without further ado, I bid you adieu. And Virginia, thank you for joining me today. It was a pleasure. I got to get my ass back to work. You guys have a great weekend. We're out of here. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to support our efforts, please take a moment to subscribe and check out our other work on the Real Progress in Action YouTube channel and visit our sister organization's website at realprogressives.org. 